0: Hi, everybody. This is Randy Beamer. You are listening to San Antonio Voice Podcast with me and our son, Senator Sal DelSitt. Hey, Randy. Good to be with you. Today, we've got the mayor of San Antonio, Ron Urenberg, and it's exciting because he gets into some pretty big details uh, regarding some of the stuff that's happening here with COVID-19 in San Antonio. And how the uh, city responded to that letter that was critical of the city from the attorney general and whether he's heard back. I thought that was interesting to hear that, how uh, the enforcement here is going, because that's been a big issue, and what they're uh, focusing on now. And now he's juggling 12, 16-hour days, focused mostly on the virus with 20 other things to deal with. Right. No, he he elaborated on that. I thought some of the things that he talked to you about uh, regarding the city versus Texas and the whole wearing of the mask issue... Uh, was pretty eye-opening, uh, but certainly we're asking our listeners today that when you're done, uh, please give us a rating. A high one would be great, and certainly yeah. please subscribe. And we started by talking about how he uh, is happy that the majority are recovered, though it's still uh, obviously a big, big concern, the virus and where it goes from here. And I asked him how you think San Antonio as an entire community is doing with the virus Here's the mayor
1: I feel that we are in a position of of control and containment and that is largely because we've had a heightened awareness from the very beginning and we've had a uh, deep level of trust in our medical and public health authorities and what they're telling us and so the community has responded. It's really the the effort to contain this virus and to save lives in San Antonio is really the credit to the San Antonio community for responding in the way uh, the public health professionals have have, uh, taught us.
2: People say we are lucky in a way that the people came to Lackland because Mm -hmm. that gave us advanced preparation and the North Star Mall incident may have awaken the public? Is that how you see it?
1: I do. I do. Um, San Antonio, obviously our region is a disaster and emergency preparedness um, center for uh, our entire country. And, And for this eight state region, we are the center of activity whenever there's something major that occurs from an active shooter situation to a natural disaster. And so we are ready. We are prepared for any scenario. But this pandemic is something that no one has ever been through before. And our work with uh, JBSA and the Department of Defense and evacuating Americans from overseas and from the cruise ships helped us get uh, to a heightened level of awareness. And certainly when the evacuee was released into the mall uh, that was positive, that brought the level of attention to the general public as well.
2: When the governor first was aware of this and went on TV, he seemed to give local authorities bigger cities where it was showing up a little bit of a free hand and then nothing could supersede the state. What's that been like for the city and for you?
1: You know, we've had a general level of collaboration with the state uh, since the evacuation missions began and we were working very closely, coordinated with uh, Texas Department of Emergency Management and NIMKID, who used to be our coordinator here in San Antonio. So that's been a great relationship. As we moved into phase two, which is the community spread and preventing the virus from killing people in our city, uh, it's been uh, kind of an evolution. We started with the emergency orders, some very hyper-local response, as did other cities around the the state. We stayed coordinated with those other cities. And as we started to get containment, the state uh, issued their own orders to bring some uniformity to the response. You know, we've had uh, cooperation since then. Uh, thankfully, we've been in coordination with the state, so our, our orders really haven't conflicted. There have been some mixed messages. But generally speaking, San Antonio has been in, a front, in front of this curve of the, uh, of the pandemic. So we've been able to respond to whatever the state has done. But
2: the governor, when he was in uh, Washington, criticized Dallas and Houston at the same time Dr. Burks. Uh, applauded Dallas and Houston, and then you get the letter from the Attorney General. What's that meant?
1: Well, again, the the Attorney General's letter was out of touch with what's happening between the city of San Antonio and the state, uh, because the Attorney General's letter, which was written to Austin and to to Dallas and to San Antonio simultaneously, uh, seemed to neglect what was actually in our orders which is compliant, aligned with everything that's in the state's orders. There are some uh, notable mixed messages, however, that are coming uh, from the state with regard to mask wearing. The state health officials, the governor, uh, everyone that's watching this is, is suggesting, and, and rightfully so, what the CDC is saying, which is wearing of masks is one important way we can slow the spread of this disease. So we have required that. What the governor's order says is that we're not uh, permitted to issue fines. Here in San Antonio, we haven't had to fine anyone. Uh, That isn't the way we're going to get compliance with this. Um, So people have largely observed the mask wearing and other public health guidance because it's the right thing to do, because they know it's saving lives, not because we've had to uh, fine people for that.
2: And after the attorney general's letter, have you had any more conversation with his office or with anyone else in the state about aligning those or about what you've done that they may not have realized?
1: Uh, The attorney general? Right. uh, We we sent a response letter uh, that invited a conversation we haven't heard back yet.
2: As we speak today, the governor is going to announce at 2 o'clock the latest uh, in the phased opening. Do you know what that is and how that's going to work with the city?
1: We don't. I mean, we can't anticipate uh, some of the things that he has signaled in terms of additional business openings, and uh, we will be prepared and we will deal with um, the scenarios that are, are, are going to be made evident here very soon. What we did here in the city of San Antonio is we established a health transition team guided by some of the best medical experts in the state of Texas, if not the, the, the rest of the country, and they established the health conditions and protocols that need to be in place for us to open up safely on that foundation we also assembled an economic transition team that issued recommendations and how every sector every business uh, environment can open in a safe way and some of the best practices that can be followed so as things begin to be opened up and new uh, reopen businesses are defined by the state we're going to issue that guidance and provide those protocols that the business community and this uh, public health team themselves offered so that we can uh, make sure that things are done in a safe way. All the while we are watching the data. We have to be vigilant. The challenge with what the state and what the governor is doing in terms of opening Texas up is that we don't know the effects of the decisions until two and three weeks later by watching the data. If we see hospitalizations start to peak, if we see infections start to double faster, um, if we see a, a, a weakening of our ability to treat illness, then we're going to have to m- take some measures uh, to contain that virus. Our goal here is to open up our, our community, to rebuild this city uh, in a strong, resilient manner. And the way we are going to do that is through cooperation, collaboration, and doing it in a healthful way.
2: What are the biggest challenges you've had from the beginning to now?
1: The most challenging part of the early onset of this virus and the containment measures that we had to take was really um, to help people um, understand and uh, hear from the public health officials and what they were saying, which was that if we're going to save lives in San Antonio, we have to act um, aggressively before things get bad. Uh, You know, a a lot of uh, I think it's a natural instinct to want to see things get bad before we take some strict measures of social distancing and staying at home. But in order for us to prevent the worst of this pandemic, we had to get in front of that. So that was difficult. Things like uh, limiting gatherings, um, closing of of some businesses, closing of bars and restaurants were absolutely critical uh, to us saving the. 8,000 plus lives that studies have shown we've saved through these measures, that was difficult. Now as we get on to uh, opening things back up and transitioning to a more uh, you know fully uh, functional economy, we have to be guarded against the sense that things can go back to normal just right now. Uh, The truth of the matter is the virus is still present We still have to be vigilant, watching the data. We still have to take measures, even as we open things up and enjoy life again, to prevent our loved ones from getting sick and and ultimately being killed by this virus. We talk about what, you know, this phrase, the new normal. What that means, in my mind, is that as we begin to go shopping and go out to eat and, and go to the movies again, We're gonna have to do those things in a slightly different way before there's a vaccine for this virus. Um, Things like wearing a mask when you're within six feet of someone not in your household become that much more important. Making sure that we're very aware of sanitation um, in our own businesses and in our own homes. Uh, Things like protecting the most vulnerable members of our community, the elderly, people with underlying immune issues, become very, very critical. So that's the kind of um, uh, feeling and and, and, uh, sensibility we have to get comfortable with if we're going to go start opening things back up again, which everyone wants to do.
2: How about these uh, news conference slash I don't know what you would call them at 613 every night. Those seem to be very effective. How did that evolve, and how did they become at 613?
1: I maintain, and um, it's become very clear, that our main weapon to fight this pandemic is uh, trust, public trust and in information, making sure that the public has access to our medical professionals and the data that we have every day on this virus in order to make Uh, informed decisions to protect themselves their family members and to protect their businesses so that's what the briefings are all about give people access uh, and provide the most up-to-date information and the guidance from the health professionals hear from the health professionals themselves on a regular basis Um, you know and and we wanted to do that just as quickly as the data could be um, and it's a
2: a media savvy way to do that because you know at 613 we can take that newscast yeah. or your it looks like a newscast you have four people up there kind of like anchors but it seems to be very effective is that helping get the word out
1: yes we've gotten a lot of feedback that you know number one it's a it's a level of consistency and something that people can count to uh count on uh, even in this vast sea of uncertainty that we're living in so that's good uh the the time itself was actually uh at at the direction of of the network so um you know, I didn't pick the time, but that's when they said it would most work. But we want to make sure that we get that information timely when people uh, are can see it, have access to it.
2: How about the criticism questions from the business community over time? A while back, you know, people came before council. Uh, Jimmy Hasslocker, former councilman, and others, you can't take my business away. Right. I can't live like this. Since then, you've still gotten that kind of stuff. How is that Involved. And what, do, what do you tell them? as, as you see places like gyms and others right start to go under, start to lay off?
1: Uh, those are very difficult decisions, um, very difficult decisions because you know that um, livelihoods are on the line. Um, you know we have this phrase that I think sticks around for a long time. I hope it does. We're all in this together. Um, we know that our focus has to be first, on making sure that we protect the the lives and the livelihoods of people in our community. That's what those decisions were all about. The limiting of gatherings, the closing of certain uh, operations, businesses, was absolutely vital in order for us to protect the lives. We have 8,000 members of our community that are alive today. Some of them may be members of your own household that are alive today because of the measures that we collectively took to to slow the spread of this virus. Um, and, And that was important but we also have to know that we're in this together meaning that on the back end of this and as we open things back up we have to be committed to working with each other to get us back up on their feet Um, you know talking with the business owners before we had to take those actions uh, was not easy uh, but i think there was a sense of um, uh, ironic calm that uh, This is the city of San Antonio. This is a community that works well together. We know how to deal with crises together, and we know that at the end of the day, we're gonna have each other's backs. And that was my message for them, and and we're we're gonna stick to that.
2: Looking at all the food bank lines, and after that one food bank line, I believe you were on CNN, uh, with the pictures just heartbreaking of so many people in line for food. Also kind of a reminder of Level of poverty in San Antonio, and that's where we're talking about now. Is how do you go forward? Some people say, you know, that needs to be part of the money from the government. That needs to be part of the focus now. Um, Is that going to be the next division split fight at City Council?
1: It's not a fight. Um, I think there's uh, virtual unanimity uh, behind the idea. Um, that we have to not just recover from this pandemic, but we have to build a stronger, uh, more equitable, more resilient city. Uh, It's not acceptable to go back to the way things were. Um, You know, this virus, this pandemic has attacked people with underlying health conditions more severely, which is one of the reasons why it's severely attacked the United States this is a country this is an economy with some severe underlying conditions and that's why we see pictures like we did in the food bank uh... of the food bank lines um, if that wasn't a stark reminder about the work we have to do i don't know what is but you think about that you know this is a city Th- this is why it's very important that we're not content to go back to normal the way things were normal um, two months ago, before this pandemic began, before the food bank lines doubled to 120,000 families a week, was one in which 60,000 families in San Antonio depended on the food bank for putting food on their table. That's not acceptable. Um, normal was one in which there was 3% unemployment, the best economy this city had ever had, but we still had backbreaking um, 20% poverty where one in five children is born into uh, poverty, where you know more than a quarter of our of all households lacked basic internet access to do homework and to order food, and um, so normal, the way things were, was an experience that all too many people in the United States are starting to really. Um, understand viscerally because of this pandemic
2: how do you change that what are you what are you working on now I know job uh, training is one of them
1: yes absolutely so we have to build from the foundation number one we have to have uh, equitable universal access to education that ends in people being able to have gainful careers um, not just jobs in which they have to work two or three of them just to make ends meet We have to make sure that people have access to essential utilities. Water and electricity are uh, vital, essential human rights in our community. Well, you know what, we've just learned that broadband and Internet are as well. We need to have access to the 21st century economy. Uh, There is not a more critical need than uh, keeping a safe roof over one's head, so we have to work on ensuring that people have access to affordable housing. Um, and then, of course, we have to make sure that um, you know, we can move around, that, that, that people have uh, the ability to get to school, get to work, um, and, and do the things that are necessary to get by in life.
2: A couple of funds uh, people want to know about is the Risk Mit- Mitigation Fund, which is $25 million. You spent about half of that, as well as Friday the House passed a bill that would have, as I understand it, brought San Antonio as much as a billion dollars. What would, what will that, and obviously it didn't pass. It's not going to pass. Uh, what, what would that kind of money be used for? People might think, oh, well, that's a windfall. You got a billion dollars. It's budget kind of money. What would you use that for, and does the city need it?
1: Um, so first of all, we we have dramatic revenue shortfalls in every corner of the city, whether it's the public or the private sector. Um, You know, so the the economic crisis is is beginning, and so is our ability to recover from it. Um, But, you know, if if you were to ask me what is the most important priority for us uh, in the future of this community moving forward is to make sure that people have access to an education. Um, If there is one way to disrupt the cycle of generational poverty is to uh, ensure That every child, every adult in this community knows that they're valued and they have skills and that they can achieve uh, with a level of skill development and education um, an opportunity to climb uh, out of poverty.
2: But there's still the hotel industry, the tourism industry, talk about stark reminders, empty downtown with the hotels closed kind of shocked me and I think a lot of other people that it is so dependent still on tourism as we thought we weren't you know in the last ten fifteen years that we have diversified we have but that's a huge chunk of the economy that's at the lower rung of the economic ladder
1: well and we have diversified Uh, we have uh, sectors in technology manufacturing um, biosciences you know, financial services we have diversified, but what is made abundantly clear is that we are very highly dependent on hospitality and tourism in this community, and and that is one of the industries. Um, those are, are some of the industries that are going to you know take some time to recover. So the economy will transform. There's no doubt about that. Post post COVID nineteen, uh, San Antonio will look different than it than it does before.
2: But you're still going to need those thousands and thousands of hospitality workers that are not going to be paid as much. Um, they, had, you know, they had some strikes before at a couple of hotels. How do you get them away from that one paycheck away from, from losing everything?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to take some collective work. Uh, I think that that is one of the reasons why the city and the county are working together on workforce development and training opportunities uh, because the, the nature of the jobs may change, especially in an era where there's going to be more uh, physical distancing and, and other uh, uh, procedures in place. And there's, uh, there's also opportunities for us now to uh, ensure that people within uh, industries that are going to be slower to recover can, can move into other career fields, potentially, and that's one of the elements of our CARES Act. Uh, what about
2: the risk mitigation fund? Where do you expect to to push that to with city money? How, how big is that going to be, and what is that going to do?
1: So we don't know exactly where it will uh, ultimately be, because, again, that's largely dependent on how long this um, pandemic, uh, how long the recovery process is, and how many more peaks we do have, if we do have any. Uh, But the risk mitigation fund, as of today, was roughly $30 million with the city and the county. We know that uh, almost half of that was uh, subscribed to within the first few weeks. So we are, as a city, committed to uh, making sure that those funds are replenished through the CARES Act support we got at the federal level. But we do have to make sure that we're supplying an affordable, uh, that we have an affordable supply of housing, going forward when we get out of this. What we want to do, though, is make sure that no one loses their homes uh, as a result of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic.
2: What about the federal money coming in? Obviously, you're not going to get, pardon me, what was in that original HEROES Act, but what do you expect to get and where will that go? How do you see that filtering down?
1: So we're now on um, roughly round three and a half of the CARES Act funds. Uh, There's several other Uh, efforts underway uh, some of them partisan efforts unfortunately in in dc we really don't know ultimately but the city and the county were allocated roughly 350 million dollars collectively for relief efforts from the pandemic what we're doing right now is working with our federal legislators the rule makers to ensure that we have the flexibility to use those funds appropriately to san antonio and the bear county community these funds, unfortunately, uh, the rulemaking process is is one they take a one size fits all approach. And we want to ensure that because communities around Texas and around the United States are so different, that we can apply those resources in the way that's appropriate to our community.
2: A lot of strings attached to what you have so far. You expect there'll be strings attached to what you'll get. What kind of limitations do you expect on that?
1: You know, so there's, there's always strings attached when, when we're talking about federal resources, uh, and, and some for good reason. But um, we do know that the CARES Act funds initially uh, were to be expended before the end of 2020. Uh, we also know they can be directed towards certain things, such as uh, uh, enabling distance learning, ensuring that we are uh, providing for businesses that uh, have been directly impacted by COVID-19 closures, uh, ensuring that we have um, uh, working, working family relief uh, for things like food assistance and housing assistance for those who have been directly impacted. So we're trying to make sure that those uh, people and communities, organizations that have been directly impacted by COVID-19 are getting the help, the relief immediately that they need. But we also want to make sure that that relief has a long-term impact to building a city that's more resilient and more equitable for the future. One
2: thing, you or two things you won't have to spend the money on, as I understand it, is police and fire. Because unlike other cities that their budgeting is right now, you've already budgeted for police and fire from the general fund. Uh, Is that kind of a relief if you would have had that over your head of of uh, contracts, other places have had to cut police and fire right when they really need them.
1: Well, San Antonio is a uh, strong, fiscally managed city, and that's one of the things that we've been able to uh, hang our hats on through many different crises, and this is one of them. Our first responders, police, fire, our medical professionals are all uh, non-negotiable items we cannot afford uh, to move forward without them. So uh, we are fortunate that those are addressed in the current budget. It is an immovable part of our budget too because they're under contract. But so far uh, we've seen uh, uh, we've seen the strength of uh, our fiscal management through the ability to maintain those emergency services.
2: One of the closest votes, important votes that I remember is the six to five vote on the moratorium on evictions, it's going to be 60 days, instead it's 30 days. People out there are wondering what am I going to do, what do you, what do you tell them going forward?
1: So the vote last week was to establish a uh, right to cure um, uh, requirement before a landlord can issue a notice to vacate. Um, that was one measure out of many that we are going to take, uh, or that we have taken to ensure that no one loses their homes as a result of COVID-19. Um, you know, we the the city council was divided on that one measure, but I will remind everyone out there that we are united on this mission that to ensure that no one loses their homes, that no one's out on the street because of COVID nineteen. Uh, and as mayor, I am going to do everything with my power to ensure that. Uh, This was one measure, but we're going to work on the risk mitigation fund. We're also working collaboratively with the landlord and tenant communities to ensure that there's other protections in place, that people have payment plans that they can get on that make sure that late fees are waived, to make sure that there's still uh, procedural moratoriums in place on evictions so that people aren't forced out.
2: Testing. Where are we in testing right now and in antibody testing down the road? There's a lot of controversy over whether those are effective. How many people are going to be able to get tested in San Antonio? By and by, when?
1: So the the testing um, there, there's a few buckets of testing. I'll focus on two. One is the diagnostic testing, and that's the swab that that will tell you today, Randy Beamer, do you have COVID-19? That's the diagnostic test. The antibody test is one in which they will say, uh, Randy, uh, looks like you had and are now recovered from COVID-19. The antibody tests are not widely available, and the ones that are approved and are accurate are not widely available at all. And that's why our Metro Health Department has issued some, some cautionary guidance uh, not to go out and, and try to buy your own or try to find it, um, you know, uh, fly-by-night uh, out of somebody's van. Don't do that. What, what we do want to do, though, is make sure that we're having wide screening, that we're doing aggressive testing of our community to make sure that we're, we're diagnosing where the infections are. That's the diagnostic test, the, 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 the swabs that, that people are, are getting. We are trying to ramp up to 3,000 tests per day. We're well on our way. We have mobile sites and private providers and public health labs and even the Freeman site operating all around this community. Uh, we're also trying to drive demand. We've seen uh, demand kind of wane a little bit, so we're trying to go out into communities that don't have necessarily access to the information or the health, uh, preventative health care, uh, and, and ensure they have the information and they know they can get a test without, without any money, without any provider uh, appointment, et cetera.
2: 3,000 a day, people might say, well, in a city, you know, 2 million or you know, county, more than that, it's not much. When am I going to get tested?
1: So, if you need to get tested, and I say if you need to get tested and, and hopefully there's a reason for you to get tested, like you've been exposed to someone who had it or you have symptoms, um, you can get a test. And in fact now we've opened it up to where you don't even need that, uh, asymptomatic testing, You can go up to the, one of the pop-up uh, labs and you can get tested. Uh, 3,000 a day is by far uh, a, a, a more aggressive number. Uh, per capita than most of Texas. Uh, In fact, uh, we have been aggressive on testing since the very beginning. We've tested, I think, roughly over 41,000 people so far. Uh, We're going to continue that. Uh, The truth of the matter is the United States was behind. Um, you know, when when this was ramping up across the world, when we were getting on heightened alert because of what was happening uh, with the evacuation missions, uh, the United States hadn't begun to ramp up its testing protocols or the testing supplies. We are feeling that now. Every community in the country wants to be doing more testing. San Antonio is no different, but we've been aggressive from the beginning.
2: The budget, there was at least, what, $200 million dollar hole. Where are we now and how are you going to deal with that?
1: It's it's uh, it's tough. It is um, the challenge with this pandemic is that uh, our response has to be aggressive in order for us to contain the, the, the disease and bring this to an end as quickly as possible. The challenge though is that we really don't know uh, depending on all the different actions taken across the country. We really don't know when it's going to end. We also have to be prepared with testing protocols and isolation protocols for there to be second and third waves. Um, So to try to project just what the consumer is going to do and what revenues are going to do far down the road is very difficult. Uh, I'm thankful here in San Antonio we have been conservative with regard to our uh, projections um, so that we have taken advance actions to prepare uh, a couple of months ago, we were already projecting out the impact to general fund and to the hot tax, the hotel occupancy tax, which is the most dramatically hit, and it's roughly about $200 million combined for the end of the fiscal year. 2021, we've only just begun those conversations though. Uh, we're going to do everything we can within our, our uh, budgetary flexibility to make sure that we, we address that. We have been doing that. We've got a good handle on it. Um, and then going forward, We're going to have to adjust. Uh, It's really going to cause us to, you know, the whole community to really discuss what our priorities are.
2: For those people who haven't been watching the headlines, and they should, uh, and maybe it's down farther in the page, what have you cut so far, and where do you see the next cuts? Because of the hot tax, you've had to focus on certain areas, cut some people, furloughed some people. Who's going to be next? What's going to be next, do you think?
1: Well, so we, we unfortunately have had to furlough uh, employees here at the city of San Antonio, largely focused on those um, uh, positions that were uh, funded through hot tax revenue. Uh, the, the positive uh, outcome of that, though, is through the furlough process and with the federal benefits uh, that are provided for, uh, for COVID-19, those those uh, employees are still members of the team. They'll be able to come back. They're still receiving benefits. They're just, uh, through the um, COVID-19 funding, getting uh, the unemployment benefits. We hope to bring those folks back as quickly as possible. But the additional um, budget adjustments are through some of the capital projects that just simply can't go, fa- as fast as they used to because of what's happening with this pandemic. Mike. So we've been able to slow things down. Some of the street projects that we in fact had projected we're going to get started, uh, in uh, this year, which before the pandemic, were, were already starting to slow down because we just didn't have enough people to do the work are going to be scheduled out a little bit farther in advance or, or a little bit farther down the road. Um, those projects actually aren't needed yet because of the, less wear and tear because things have kind of slowed down so we'll be able to stagger out capital improvements and other operations so they're not it's not people at home uh, our residents don't feel the impact of them but they're happening here we're making those adjustments now
2: going to be a vote in November I guess still on via in the transportation issue and some wanted it the money to go to the aquifer its going to be an issue over that. Where where are you on that? What do you realistically expect to happen
1: there? The decision hasn't been made about a November election, but we will be discussing that right now. We're focused on pandemic response. Are
2: there any positives right now? Construction moving forward? Are there some silver linings to this? Uh, You mentioned some of the construction here catching up anything you can tell people that, well, at least we're able to do this. Yeah.
1: Well, there's always silver linings, um, you know, from, from a, just a pragmatic standpoint. You're right. Uh, road projects that were underway that people were, you know, getting headaches from have actually been able to move along really fast because of, um, you know, just the lack of traffic. Uh, we, um, you know, there, there has been a lot fewer traffic accidents, too, by the way. Um, and you know, frankly, I think it's not a silver lining. It's it's actually the school. It's it's the purpose of our effort. We've saved thousands of lives in this community. The studies are clear on that. Thousands of lives are here. People are here in our community because we've been working together. But I think some of the silver linings are that this this city, and this community, in fact, this country, has really had a sense of. Um, solidarity through this whole process that has required us to look at the communities that we built over the last generation and some of the challenges that people have had to deal with uh, even when times were normal. And from that is springing a commitment to do better. You know, through crisis you really uh, see the essentials, see your priorities, and I think you're starting to see that, and and that's that's going to allow us to build a city that is more equitable, more resilient, um, and stronger than before.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier partisanship, and it seems like we're dividing more now along uh, partisan lines for what should happen with the economy and what should happen with money, as well as what should happen with whether I can wear a, whether I should wear a mask. Why should I wear a mask? You're infringing on my rights. Do you see that happening here? And are you worried about that?
1: You know, and, and I always carry mine with me um, because I never know if I'll be within six feet of someone and I want to make sure that they know that I respect them enough to put on a mask. You know, ultimately it's it's trying to make sure that you don't pass along potentially a virus to someone. Uh, and I think that's important. It's also important, I think, that we uh, build a city where people can get back on their feet. Nobody goes hungry, and no one loses their homes. Uh, I think it's uh, not a political thing to want to save a member of my community, a veteran, maybe your parents or your children, their lives through the efforts that we're we're doing. These are not political things, uh, but you know, this is modern day America, and there will always be people who take or who. Uh, Try to take political advantage of a situation Uh, we here in san antonio won't do that Um, and as mayor i won't do that the efforts that we're taking right now are not republican or democrat measures they're they're those to ensure that everyone in the city can thrive i've heard people say well why even have
2: any kind of order if the governor says no jail time there's no enforcement there's no teeth to these things why bother
1: that's why we're on um, on the air every day, giving the public health information, the guidance from our medical professionals about what will save our lives, what will keep each other healthy, and what will ultimately build a strong economy in San Antonio. That's why we're issuing those guidance. And people are following that guidance, by and large, not because they're being forced to, not because there's a threat of a fine or jail time, which there's not. It's because they trust the medical professionals. They trust uh, the people who are working on their behalf to save, you know, their family's health and security, and and that's that's ultimately the answer to the question. It's not it's not because we're being forced to. In fact, uh, it's sometimes the opposite of that in Texas. It's because we know it's the right thing to do.
2: Is military city in any way, play into that? You think? Yes,
1: I do. I do, uh, I do uh, because I I, I believe that this community, um, unlike uh, many others, uh, r- recognizes the role of service before self, um, respects uh, the people in uniform, whether they have um, you know, nurses gowns on or they have a badge on their chest, they recognize that those are the helpers and those are the people that are, are giving me direction to help me and, and we, we follow that.
2: We were doing stories for a year on inequality in San Antonio. Do you worry that divide's going to get
1: worse or could get
2: worse because of this?
1: Um, I am um, always on guard for that but I think actually the opposite will happen. I think it's, it's made inequality, inequity, that much clearer for all of us and has uh, as a result uh, brought together collective commitment to make that better
2: are you getting used to being an anchor every night
1: (laughs) Um, you know whether or not the cameras are on uh, we're we're always trying to provide that and and so uh, this is just uh, it's another uh, essential element of, of making sure that people have the information they are need.
2: you becoming a better communicator better TV do you feel more comfortable with that
1: <laughs> I don't know Randy you tell me <laughs> you look
2: more like an anchor than I ever did um, but has that helped you in any way
1: uh, also um,
2: to me because you have to keep that message within a certain time or you yeah. try to
1: I, I think so. I mean, it helps us boil down what's the essential message, and lately it's been evident that one of those messages is, is, is gratitude for the people who are demonstrating what we need to be doing together to save each other's lives and livelihoods.
2: A nursing homes, that is one of our most vulnerable things, and you're doing some things uh, earlier than other places, but that's still a huge concern.
1: It is. In fact, that's one of the major sources of cases all across the country. And so San Antonio has been aggressive even before COVID started. Uh, We worked with every single long-term care facility in this community, over 160 places where we worked with them directly about proper donning and doffing of PPE, how to sanitize, how to control infections. We also developed protocols to monitor transports to identify before they happen outbreaks that could happen. And then, of course, you see what we're doing with regard to ensuring there's isolation. Any positives are immediately universally tested in San Antonio in that facility, and we isolate positive individuals so that they can recover and not put others at risk.
2: Gonna be a lot of businesses that don't reopen. Gonna be a lot of storefronts that are empty. What do you do with those? What do you do with those people?
1: You know, uh, some businesses, or I I would say um, opening a business is one thing. Inspiring consumer confidence to really restart the economy is another. Thankfully, this small business community, this business community in San Antonio, recognizes both of those things. Um, it, it is heartbreaking that to know that some um, some won't open again. Uh, but I do know that that ingenuity and the entrepreneurship, the resilience of those small business members, um, the entrepreneurs entrepreneurs in this community, are going to be back. Uh, better than ever and what we'll be working to achieve is that in pockets where you are starting to see this vast revitalization of san antonio and near downtown is one of them you're going to continue to see that uh, revitalization but you're going to see it in a way that more uh, more members of our community can enjoy that uh, pockets of our community that that unfortunately were lagging behind Uh, that were, uh, you know, uh, stuck in cycles of poverty, you're going to start to see people rise from that uh, through new opportunity. And that's the kind of uh, resurgence that we need.
2: But it's going to take years. I mean, UTSA was hoping for the money in the legislature this next time. I can't imagine that they would pay or give them as much. Downtown businesses, are we going to be three, five, eight years behind what we might have been?
1: Well, keep in mind... We were building a tower, brick by brick, in this community for generations. And unfortunately, this pandemic has been a bit of an earthquake to all of that. But what it has revealed is a foundation that had fissures and, and, and was not level. And so what we're doing now is building a stronger, more resilient foundation. This, is, this city is over 300 years old. In hindsight, this will be the most valuable years we spend in terms of the work that we're doing. To build a, a, a city, a, a society, a community, a community that we can be proud to leave our children and grandchildren.
2: And on a personal level, you have a—is it eleven-year-old son?
1: Yeah. How's that? Jonah, uh, he's great. Uh, he's a, a constant source of comedic relief. Uh, he's learning how to cook. He's more faithful to his chores than ever before, uh, and 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 frankly, uh, I love seeing. Uh, his interpretation of all these events. This is, uh, you know, he will remember this and for he's the rest of his life. handling it well. He is handling it well.
2: How about um, you guys? You uh, and your wife? He's,
1: he, he's reminding us when we're handling it well. And, and so I, I, it's a, it's a moment to treasure because we understand this is going to be one of the most impactful uh, parts of his life, his formative years, and. And that's a motivator for me to make sure I do it right, not just within our household, but for the city. Are
2: you, or at least your wife, getting to spend more time with him during this?
1: Um, uh, Erica is, for sure. <laughs> Erica is an adjunct teacher, uh, in addition to working from home, uh, and, and also an em- employer of sorts because she is overseeing all of his chores and responsibilities. Uh, unfortunately, I don't um, uh, as much as I'd like to, but uh, the moments that we do have are, are that much more special.